So I've been thinking all week long about last Sunday. What an incredibly beautiful day that we had from a weather perspective. We had wonderful food. We had opportunities for you to see God's faithfulness to Grace Bible Church throughout its history. We had opportunities for you to see ways that you can engage the world around us, including adopting a missionary. We had 13 baptisms last Sunday morning. And we had a Purim Palooza sermon, which I've never heard before. And so I appreciate that. Um, And it was an incredible time of fellowship. And I was encouraged by that. But can I tell you that that kind of event doesn't happen unless there are a number of folks who are working behind the scenes who make it happen. And so I need to give a shout out this morning to three special people who helped make last Sunday possible. Betsy Edmondson, Haley Nance, and Olivia Dietrich. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See, because truth be told, we all need encouragement. Somebody to believe in us, somebody to reassure us, somebody to reinforce us, somebody to pick up the pieces when we fail. And it doesn't matter if we're six years old or 96 years old. Most of us need encouragement more than we know and will benefit more than we realize. And it's no wonder that on numerous occasions throughout the scriptures, we are reminded as God's children to be encouragers to one another. Encourage one another. And in light of last week and in light of those exhortations to encourage one another, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about deepening our commitment to encouragement. Now, if you need a little bit more uh, vernacular title, call it peanut butter theology. Because if you take two slices of bread and you slather the peanut butter on one side and then you slather the peanut butter on the other side and you stick those suckers together, the more peanut butter, the more likely they are to stick together. Encouragement is just like that. The more we encourage one another, the more we help one another, the more we think best of one another, the more likely we are to stick together as a body of believers and honor Jesus Christ and be faithful to the end. And I say that because God himself is the great encourager. He's such a great encourager that when he sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, helper, counselor, advisor, teacher, he called him the encourager. Let me tell you why I think that's true. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I need to go so that I can send to you another paraclete. That's the exact Greek word that's there, parakaleo. It's a compound Greek word. It comes from the word para, which means alongside of, and kaleo, to call. So by definition, the word is one called alongside. And by implication, one is called alongside to help. And so various English translations have tried to take that Greek word, parakaleo, and give it an English word. And that's why, depending on what English translation of the scriptures you read, it might call the the Holy Spirit the comforter. It might call him the helper. It might call him the advocate. But in all of those different words, they don't quite measure up to the real meaning of the word. 
Because if he's a comforter only, you might think of a quilt on a bed or somebody who comes alongside of you when you're mourning or in trouble. If you think of a helper, you might think of someone who's secondary or behind the scenes. If you think of an advocate, you might think of it only in a legal, forensic perspective. That's why I think the best translation and the one that's seldom used is encourager. Because if you look at the English definition of encouragement in the dictionary, it says encouragement is to inspire with courage, to inspire with hope, to spur on to give help. And don't we all need to be spurred on, to be inspired, to stand firm, to have courage in the midst of hard times and to help one another? And that definition that's found in the English dictionary along with the Greek word helps us to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires us to stay the course. He's the one who spurs us on to be faithful. He's the one who comes alongside to help us and to teach us and to guide us and to comfort us. He's our encourager. And therefore, in light of that fact, when you and I encourage each other, we come as close to joining the work of the Holy Spirit as, as we can in the New Testament. Because he's the encourager, we're exhorted to be encouragers as well. Why is that true? Why do you think the scriptures remind us to be encouragers? Why was the Holy Spirit sent as our encourager? Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul is instructing the believers in Thessalonica, and one of the topics that he's dealing with is the rapture of the church. And most of the time when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, those of us who are theologians, or at least think we're theologians, want to talk about all the end time events and all the rapture and all what that means and how all that's going to work. I want to avoid that this morning. I want to kind of give it a bigger context than that. And I want you to notice verse 13 and then verse 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Some of these believers in Thessalonica had lost family members. Maybe they died because of persecution. Maybe they died because of illness. Maybe they died because of old age, but they're no longer there. And so they're experiencing loss. They're experiencing an empty seat at the table. They're experiencing loneliness. And they're grieving, and they want to know, where are they? What happens? And so that's why Paul launches into those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive are going to join him in the air, and thus we're always going to be with the Lord. And then when he gets to verse 18, he says, therefore, Comfort, encourage one another with these words. Why did the believers in Thessalonica need encouragement? Because they're experiencing grief. They're experiencing loss. And which of any of us have not experienced loss of some kind? Loss of a family member? Loss of a job? loss of some financial stability. We grieve those things. And therefore, we need encouragement. 
We not only need encouragement because we know what it's like to lose, we need encouragement because in the end, life is tough. He gets to chapter five and he begins to talk about the day of the Lord, the second coming, and what those days are gonna be like leading up to when Christ returns. And when he gets to the end of that text, he's gonna tell them, encourage one another. But the reason he tells them in verse 11 of chapter five to encourage one another is because these are days of deception and great immorality. Notice verse three of chapter five. While they are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman and a child and they will not escape. People will promise what they can't deliver. They're gonna deceive you. Matter of fact, when Jesus is talking about the end times, he said, the deception will be so great that were it not for my return, even the believers would be deceived. It's a time of great deception. Life is tough. We hear so much from so many different sources. You get to the point where you're not sure who you can believe or what is true or what's false. It's a time of great deception and it's a time of great immorality. He uses the phrase in verse four and five, darkness. You, brethren, are not in the darkness. You're of the light. That is, you're not in the same path of practice as the world in which we live. You have different values and different concepts, but they live in darkness and they practice immorality and they redefine marriage and they promote a lack of integrity and they tell us that Christianity has no value and it's insignificant and we're short-sighted and bigoted and prejudiced and we have no clues to what's going on. Life is tough. We all experience loss. We all live in a chaotic, immoral culture. We need someone to spur us on, to motivate us, to keep us on the path so in the end we can hear God say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You kept the faith. You fought the good fight because someone came along to encourage you. Life's tough. But there's a second reason why we need to be good encouragers. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Taken right out of the middle of this text, the writer to the Hebrews says, Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know the second reason why we need to be encouragers to come alongside each other and help and spur us on and motivate us and stimulate us is because sin is deceitful. Because Satan is alive and well and active. And the context of that encouragement to be encouragers is found in an illustration from the nation of Israel. It's found in verses 7 through 11. Two events are recorded here. This is a quote from Psalm 95, but the events, the historical events are in the wilderness of Meribah and Massah. Notice what the writer says in quoting the Old Testament, verse seven. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. And we'll get to that in a minute. Your fathers tried me and tested me and I saw and saw my works for 40 years. But I was angry with this generation. 
They always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. These two events that are being referenced here in these verses refer to a time when the nation of Israel lacked sustenance. They had no water. And another time when they found giants in the land. Now, God had miraculously provided for this group of people. He had miraculously parted the Red Sea. They had walked across on dry land. He had provided food and water for them where they didn't have to work for it. Their sandals never wore out for 40 years of walking in the desert and the wilderness. He gave them the cloud by day to protect them from the heat. He gave them the fire by night to give them warmth and to give them direction as to where they were going. And he gave them the promise that he would take them to the promised land. And despite all of that evidence... And one time there's no water, they grumble and complain. They doubt God's goodness and promise. The one time they find giants in the land, they grumble and complain and doubt God's goodness. Let me show you. Turn your Bibles back, if you will. Keep your fingers here in Hebrews, but you can go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 17. And let me just read the first three verses of Exodus chapter 17, so you can see the response of the nation of Israel despite the evidence to the contrary. All the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of Zen according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. It would have been nice if the next verse had said, so the people gathered together to pray and to seek the Lord for him to provide them water that he had promised he would give them. But that's not what it says, does it? Therefore, all the people quarreled against Moses. Moses, it's your fault. Give us water that we can drink. Like Moses could miraculously say water and there'd be water. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? God, how could you do that? How could you bring us across the Red Sea? How could you give us food and water and a cloud and a fire and promise and expect us to die without water out here? How could you do that to us? God has given them everything. And the one time they don't have water, They've been deceived and they've fallen into discouragement. So they quarrel. Numbers chapter 14. The spies have gone out. They've come back to report what they found. And despite the beauty of the land, despite God's provision to bring them to the footsteps of gathering into the land, they were giants in the land. And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. If they stayed in Egypt, they would be dead. If God hadn't brought them out of the wilderness, they would be dead. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Yeah, because Egypt was a beautiful place. 
they had wonderful homes. They had total freedom. They were doing really well financially. So let's go back. How quickly they had forgotten and how quickly they had turned from the promises of God. Why? Not because they're evil people, but because sin is deceitful and Satan is active. And so despite all the evidence to the contrary, they doubted God's faithfulness and they became discouraged and they grumbled. So let's be honest. Sometimes we're just like the nation of Israel. In the stress of life, when the pressure hits and there is some totally unexpected tragedy, some unexplainable problem, some issue that comes into our lives, Satan and sin at that very moment are actively deceiving us into doubting God's great and magnificent promises so that we end up discouraged. We end up doubting God's goodness and we end up doubting God's faithfulness. So instead of trusting him to bring us through, to experience his grace and mercy, we complain. God says to us, to the nation of Israel, to the church, therefore, encourage one another. Because what's going to prevent us from doubting God's promises? What's going to prevent us from falling into discouragement and unfaithfulness? Encourage one another day after day. Now, wait a minute. Because if you and I were writing this and someone or someone came to us and said, how do I prevent being discouraged? What do I need to do in order to be sure that I remember God's promises and his faithfulness? what would we say? Study scripture. Memorize scripture. Pray. Go to church. All of which are really good things, by the way, and I'm not downgrading any of those because those have tremendous value in our lives and our spiritual growth and are absolutely essential for that. But they, in and of themselves, are not the preventative to discouragement and doubting God's faithfulness and his promises. You know what is? Others, you and I, coming alongside one another and encouraging one another. Encourage one another. The sin, the sin of unbelief is a persistent daily threat. We may have been strong in faith yesterday, but we've run out of water in the wilderness today. How will we respond? Will we trust God? Will we look to him in faith to provide or will we grumble, complain, and doubt? Satan never takes a day off for R&R. He doesn't let up on his attacks and therefore we cannot let up on encouraging one another each day. Notice the emphasis on today. Encourage one another day after day. So there's this long-term ongoing process as so long as it's still called today. 
So we don't live on the encouragement from yesterday or the hopeful encouragement for tomorrow. We live on the encouragement today. Encourage one another today, every day, so long as it's called today. And when you're living in this day, it's always today. Because you're not living in yesterday and you're not living in tomorrow, you're living in today. And so today is a good day to encourage someone. To speak a kind word. To give a smile and a hug. To sit with a struggling believer. To pray together. Because we're in it together. To avoid unbelief in our own lives, to avoid being deceived by sin, we need each other. We need encouragement. Not criticism, but encouragement. I need it. You need it. We all benefit. And if I read this passage correctly, reaching out to a fellow believer to give him encouragement, her encouragement, not only keeps them from unbelief, but it benefits you as well. Notice the text. So that none of you will be hardened. The none of you, the you is plural, refers to both the giver of encouragement and the receiver of encouragement. None of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We could say that encouragement is good for both the doctor and the patient. It has value to the one who gives it. It has value to the one who receives it. It keeps all of us from being deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another because life is hard. Encourage one another because sin is deceitful. And thirdly, encourage one another because the health of the church requires it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verses 19 to 21 of this text basically tell us what we have. And what we have as believers in Jesus Christ is confidence to approach God not because we are good, but because of what Jesus has accomplished through his shed blood and resurrection. Jesus Christ's death has removed our guilt for sin. He has made us acceptable to God. Look up a little few verses earlier, verse 10. By this will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We've been set apart for God. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, speaking of Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. It's finished. What Jesus Christ accomplished for us 
enables us to be clothed in the very righteousness of Christ so that Paul can say to the believers in Rome, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore, having been declared righteous, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in a state of grace so that Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, therefore, there's no condemnation to the one who is in Christ. And because of what Jesus has accomplished, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus did not because we're good. This is what we have. And not only that, we have a high priest who intercedes on our behalf. He gives us access in the very throne room of heaven. Let me pause for just a minute because there may be some here or listening online who have never experienced that forgiveness, who are uncertain that the things that they've done can be laid at the foot of the cross. They're not sure if God really loves them enough to care for them. Can I encourage you and tell you that on the authority of Scripture, Jesus Christ died for your sins, all of them. And if you will accept his gift of forgiveness, he will bring you into his family and call you his own. And you will have the same confidence that any other believer has, whether it's the Apostle Paul or Jimmy Smith, who's five years old, who just trusted Jesus. Because of what Jesus did. Take this opportunity. Don't miss that. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, now's the best time to do it. Because you've heard that God loves you and cares for you. This is what we have. We have this incredible confidence, this wonderful high priest. Therefore, here's what we do. There are three phrases that begin with the phrase, let us. Great evangelical pastors have called this the church salad because it's got lots of lettuce I don't know about tomatoes or cheese or croutons, but they call this the salad because it's got lettuce. Let us draw near to God. That is deep in our relationship because we have this incredible confidence to know God well. Let us stay at that. Deepen your relationship to God. Let us hold fast to our hope. Stand firm in what you know is true. Never forget the promises that God has given Keep bringing them to mind. Stand firm. And then thirdly, let us consider how to stimulate others to love and good needs. It's kind of that practical ministry. It's that threefold process. Know God better. Be confident in his word. Help one another. Consider how you're going to do this. And that means you have to take your thought off yourself and put them on somebody else. You have to get your thoughts as to how will this work. And the text helps us. Because he says, in considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, don't forsake your assembling together. When do we do this? When we assemble together. Here in the sanctuary for a church worship service, in your small group, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, when you gather together with other believers, you are assembling. You are bringing yourself together. In those times, be an encourager to one another.
when church had to shut down because of COVID, and we went to an online streaming service so that you could still be encouraged to hear the word, the negative side of that is that sometimes we think that that's church, staying at home and listening to a message in a worship service. Online streaming is an incredible device and wonderfully helpful. But let's not assume that that's church. Because you cannot stimulate one another to love and good deeds if you're not here. You can practice faith and hope when you're alone, but you can't practice encouragement when you're alone. You have to gather with the saints. Your presence alone is an encouragement. I remember talking with Andy when the church shut down and we were doing online streaming, but nobody was here. And so he's preaching to pews. How incredibly difficult that is when no one's there. Because so much energy comes as those of us who teach from the audience who's there. Your presence matters. Assemble together. And when you're there, encourage one another. Encourage each other to draw near, to hold fast, to love and good deeds. There's more to Christian fellowship than just food and worship and sitting and singing and praying. Giving and listening to a sermon, one of the major objectives of Christian fellowships is to encourage one another. And as the coming of Christ gets closer, we need to step up our encouragement game. Even more as you see the day drawing near. Imagine what our worship services would be like if we came prepared to encourage one another to speak a good word, to see the best, to look for the good, to point each other in the direction of joy and hope, to cheer each other along. Jamie Scott was a second grader who was relatively shy and had very few friends, but he told his mom that he wanted to try out for the second grade play. She was scared to death for little Jamie. She was certain that he wasn't gonna make it, and that no one would include him in the group, and he would come home sad and despondent. So on the final day of tryout, she decided she better show up to school so she could be there to help him through this process of working through his sadness. She needed help, so she brought a friend with her. So the school gets out, the doors open, Jamie comes out through the front door, and he sees his mom. And there is the biggest smile and the brightest eyes shining out from Jamie's face. And he runs up to his mom and he says, Mom, Mom, guess what? I've been chosen. I've been chosen to clap and cheer. And all of us have been chosen to clap and cheer. To be an encourager to one another. That's what encouragement is. Clapping and cheering each other along. We've been chosen by God himself to help each other grow in our Christian walk to benefit the people around us by being encouragers. 
We cannot afford to take our cue from the world because when someone in the world fails, when the receiver drops the pass, when the basketball player doesn't make the bucket, when he commits the foul, everybody turns to booze. As believers in Christ, we cannot boo one another even when one another fails. We're called to be cheerleaders. We're called to be encouragers, to come alongside. And sometimes that's just sitting with someone who needs somebody to sit there. Years ago, I came across a story about a farmer, a farmer who had gotten his tractor stuck in the mud. And so he called his local farmer, Buddy, who was about five miles down the road, and said, I really need some help. Can you come help me? My tractor's stuck. So the farmer brings his tractor down and they hook the chain up from one tractor to the other and he pulled and he pulled, but it was so stuck in the mud he couldn't get it out. So the neighbor said to his friends whose tractor was stuck, he said, well, I may not be able to get it out, but I'll sit in the mud with you. That's what encouragement does. Sometimes it just sits in the mud with someone who's struggling. Encourage one another. My challenge to you today is to be an encourager. Pray for ways to encourage. Seek ways to encourage. Look for the best. Point it out. Give kind, gracious, and stimulating words because encouragement will not only enrich, enrich the life of the receiver, it'll make your life richer as well. To that end, I want to give you some ideas. This is not a complete list. This is not a legalistic list. This is just an idea. Prime the pump. In your worship guide, there's an encouragement card. This is what it looks like. It's very simple. It says a note of encouragement. I want you to take some time and write a note to somebody. And it could be as simple as, thanks for being you. Love your smile. Thanks for just coming and showing up. I'm praying for you. You make my life richer. What a... It could be much more specific than that. But if we all took a note and wrote it to someone and then after the service, you gave it to them? Said, hey, I was, this is what I, you are the one I thought about when I heard about encouragement and I just want to encourage you. I'm going to give you one minute to do it right now. Yeah, you have to do something in church. See, it's more than just listening. It's participatory. So this is your opportunity to write a note or start a note. And I'm going to give you a minute. Hey, if you're listening online, you'll have to get your own encouragement note and write it, but you can do it too and mail it to somebody. So the first thing that primes the pump is a note that is written to somebody who needs encouragement. Secondly, become a missionary of encouragement. As you go about your day, focus on the individuals that you see, smile, talk, Encourage them. Make the most of those kinds of contacts. Third, determine when you come to church 
to be prepared to pray for somebody who says I'm struggling. Wouldn't it be cool if out in the commons there were numerous huddles of prayer, two or three people that were just praying together because someone said I need help and God ministers to us in the midst of that because God answers our prayers because we have access to the throne of grace. Come prepared. Come prepared to pray, to encourage, to be a part of the body of Christ. Someone once said, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Life's tough. For some, it's tougher than others. Sin is deceitful. Satan is incredibly active. It's easy for us to lose confidence and faith in what God is doing. Encourage one another. See the best in one another. Speak the best to one another. The church will be better off. You will be better off. Be an encourager today and every day, so long as it's called today. Let's pray together. Father, how incredibly honored we are that you call us to join you in the work of the Holy Spirit to be an encourager. Boy, that can be intimidating. Forgive us, Father, when we have decided to not say something, to step aside, to forget the other person, to think only of ourselves. Father, by the power of the Spirit who is the encourager, encourage each one of us to be encouragers to one another so that you'll be honored, the church will be healthy, and the gospel will go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.